independent-minded with Ronnie Scalzo. How do I love Mackie? Let me count the ways. Quiet, I'm counting. Well, okay, maybe I ain't so good with numbers and stuff, but I still love Mackie a lot. Allow me to explain. So I'm here in L.A. recording this, slapping it all together while I live out of a suitcase, and the Mackie EM91CU+, Plus. that's what I'm talking into. Hello? It's USB in, baby. Plug it in and go. And it's lightweight, too. How do I know that? I'm holding it in my hand right now. It's just silly how easy it is to use. And yes, there are a ton of microphones out there, nerds. I get it. There are a ton of podcasts out there, too. And yet here we are. So you come this far, might as well get that Mackie EM91CU+. Listen, I get paid either way. With over 30 years in the industry, Mackie is still making gear that sticks to the original vision, giving folks like you and me a solid alternative to busting open the piggy bank. Make stuff with affordable, reliable recording gear. It's all at Mackie.com. All right? All right. You're the one that should be worried. You're a freak. You're heading for big trouble. Remember music scenes? A club or even a part of town where like-minded bohemians would gather on any given night to see local talent. Or maybe the cool indie band that was sliding in and out of town. Whether you were the band or the fan, that sort of night comes with all the fixins. Loitering on street corners. The quest for the perfect late night post-show burger. The familiar aroma of cigarettes, spilled beer, and reefer. And sticker-adorned bathroom stalls. A not-so-secret after-party at the bass player's best friend's apartment. Sweaty, crowded spaces where most, if not all, came to worship their favorite bands. And sing along to their songs. And stick around to buy a shirt, shoot the shit, and sign the mailing list. Illiterate Light, the Virginia-based duo of Jeff Gorman and Jake Cochran, they're professional music community builders. They've toured on bicycles, they played coffee houses, street corners, relentlessly, building a loyal following not only in their hometown, but in places like Boston and Nashville, too. And now, like pretty much every indie band on the planet, Illiterate Light are adjusting to a modern music scene. Let's not call it post-apocalyptic, but it sure is different. The shows are still happening, but congregating has become discouraged, commiserating more challenging. Even securing an in-person interview with a band is no longer a given, and it comes with new caveats. Wasn't this all supposed to be fun? So when I arrive at Brooklyn Bowl on a warm gray day in Nashville, I'm there to score some sunshine from Jeff and Jake. So many artists are struggling to keep the creative motor humming these days, never mind trying to keep the lights on while tours and the plans that surround those tours continue to get pushed back. For Jeff and Jake, these are just new challenges to try to overcome, because Illiterate Light's no exception. They've got new material, they want you to hear it. They want to do what bands do, put out a record, tour on that record, sweat the songs out on stage, stare into each other's eyes lovingly under those hot colored lights. They want to sell their shirts, shoot the shit, and spend time with their friends and fans. Illiterate Light want their music scene back, and they're the sort of band that will play anywhere and everywhere they have to, to get that feeling of community back. Jeff and Jake talk with me about their unique live setup, playful music videos, Jake's interesting fashion choices, and stretching musical boundaries. Let's kick things off with Better Than I Used To from the self-titled album by Illiterate Light, then my conversation with Jeff and Jake right here on Independent Minded.
plugging in projects, making them famous. He's helping them out just by making them talk about all the bullshit that they do.
done lots of interviews, but this is true. It's our first podcast. You know, why? It's co- I don't know why the podcasters been. I don't know life? where they've been. I don't know. I don't know why this is the first podcast. Uh, we've done so many radio interviews, and you know, just kind of found our our flow in that world and done a bunch of stuff in print you know we listen to podcasts driving around the country and but you know we haven't been approached yet so this is great we're like you said you know you're popping our our podcast cherry right on i'm I'm happy to i'm happy to be the person that uh uh, (laughs) and i said uh, like you said you know i did not say that that was (laughs) yes that was ron (laughs) now even though you are from the shenandoah valley you have a long history here in Nashville, Tennessee. Definitely. So how did that start with you guys as a band? The first time we ever played here was in 2012 with another band. Our first band in college was called Money Cannot Be Eaten, which comes from a Cree Indian poem, which is after the last tree has been cut down, after the last river has been poisoned, after the last fish has been caught, will people realize that money cannot be eaten. The ethos of that band was just this sense of, you know, this life isn't all about money and material things, kind of countercultural idea in our society. And that was kind of what we were bonding over. And we came down in 2012 and played a small club here that holds about 85 or 100 people called The Basement. You know it well. My uncle came out to the show. We played a 30-minute set or something, and then afterwards he came up to me and he was just like, he was like, you could have heard a pin drop that entire set. He was like, nobody was taught, like no, everybody was really dialed in. And he was like, that's a really good sign in this town because it's a, it's a music town. Everybody's seen everything. They don't really care. So if you can captivate people, it really means something here. In 2015, when we formed Illiterate Light, we had kind of a similar experience. We formed our new band. We came back. We played the basement again. And we just felt like people were really dialed into what we were doing even though we live in Harrisonburg, Virginia, which is about eight or nine hours uh, from here, we just decided we would just make it a priority. Richmond and Nashville, we played here once a month for about three years. We just were booking ourselves and touring like crazy. Things start to kind of grow and you meet people and you kind of get a sense of the area. And we actually started having fans come out to shows and it was it was not just a city where we were like oh we have to be there it was like the shows there are great people are actually digging what we're doing and also for two guys that didn't really know anything about the music industry it was like that's probably a good place to go new york was always a little overwhelming for us like what the how the hell do you meet anybody here there's so many you think what do you actually do yeah you're talking to the right guy nashville <laughs> nashville felt a little more manageable and so just early on the shows were great and we were able to actually kind of make some connections with with folks that seemed like we could partner with them for the business side of this whole industry thing now i'm sure the accommodations are better now that i believe jake you now live down here is that correct yeah i um i moved to nashville about two and a half years ago it's definitely better for me jeff jeff's got his own room when he comes to town um, so I, I grew up in Northern Virginia, right outside of DC. Jeff and I met in Virginia at James Madison University in the Shenandoah Valley. That's where our band's really been based out of. I mean, our friendship really started 10, 12 years ago. Um, we've been playing music ever, ever since, but yeah, about two and a half years ago, I'm married. I've got family down in the deep South now, and we wanted to just be more in touch with our family here. Tennessee felt like a really good middle ground, and we had made so many friends and connections through touring and through playing here 
that, yeah, rather than move all the way to Mississippi where I've got family, relationships only can go so far when you see somebody a couple times a year and still feels like a small town to me and, and um, it's great though. I don't know, it's interesting because I'm a city boy yeah. and coming down here like, it's chill. Like oh, people yeah. say, oh, the traffic and I'm like, this is traffic? <laughs> like this is not traffic. Right. I watched these videos last night and I don't know if homoerotica is the right word, but <laughs> but man, there's just like a chemistry that I don't think was forced in these videos. Um, in one video, you're carrying each other yeah. um, in the woods, and then eventually you're carried by two strapping young lads into yeah. into the river. We call them uh, the strong guys. The st <laughs> is that what they're referred to as? That was what they're referred um, to as. There seems to be like a, a solid bromance between the two of you. Like, can you? Give me any insight into the closeness that you may or may not have as, as bandmates and friends. We know how to put on a good show. We know what the people like. And um, getting getting really close to each other's mouths makes makes for a good show, man. <laughs> I got no problem with Jeff, and I think he's a beautiful man. Jeff looks slightly yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah, but. <laughs> no, I think you're right. You know, we both need our own personal space, you know. It's like after a few weeks of just being right on top of somebody 24, it doesn't matter who you're with, you're just like, I got, I need, you know. Like, so we, we make sure that we, especially for me, I'm big for the mornings. I need personal space for a few hours. And then I feel like a human again. Um, so I think we're able to we're able to be close because there's also an awareness of our own personal needs for personal space as well. So, you know, you got to do both. You got to take care of yourself and then be able to be close with your people. I just want to make sure that you weren't doing it for the cameras. It's, it felt real to me as, it's, as the viewer. Yeah. It's entirely for the camera. It's oh, 100%. <laughs> Love is something that, that is just fabricated for the art. <laughs> Jake, while you got the mic, I want to talk about your fashion. Oh, great. I want to talk about this blousey uh, yeah. cutoff shirt that you wear in a lot of your press photos. Mm -hmm. um, in one of the videos, you're wearing a, a sweater adorned with a cat. That's right. That's my, my kitty. Are sweater. you an animal lover? I certainly love cats. Where do you shop? <laughs> How do you make these fashion choices? I've got two cats that I love deeply, uh, Titat and Waldo. So if I find a little cat sweater, it's going to it's gonna be mine. A lot of times I'm just shopping at thrift stores. The crop top that you're talking about has been around for a long time. And it was one of those things where I bought it probably, honestly, like maybe like 12, 15 years ago at this point. And just not in this band not i was just like that's cute and i just threw it in a <laughs> threw it in a little cabinet in my house and didn't think about it for years some of the the uh homoeroticism you're talking about really i would just say is a playfulness that jeff and i love yeah um that's a, and that's like, a better description right right there's a there's a <laughs> we're boys and we like to be playful and i think uh there's something beautiful about the playfulness that we're able to share and and sort of the simplicity behind that and so particularly early on in our live shows sometimes I would just do things during the set without telling Jeff to just kind of throw him off because it's only him and I. And if somebody does something wrong, it's pretty obvious who's doing it wrong. So a lot of times I would do something to kind of screw with Jeff so that it just, just play the night a little bit. So one time in the middle of our show, I rip off my normal shirt and I have that little shirt on it. And it was just a funny thing at that point. So it was like a, this funny little memory I just tried to throw out for Jeff and the crowd reacted and loved it and I was just like well I'm gonna do this tomorrow night too you know like we had just read a book uh by David Byrne called How Music Works and I read that when I came down to Nashville absolutely man we we really 
loved and studied that book and and there was something in that book that jumped out to us where it's just like you've got to be playful you've got to be ready for anything on stage but also if it works like it's theater like don't shy away from doing something that works again and integrating it into the show and so in some ways that that shirt and some of my fashion choices are things that I like just did once or twice because I thought personally they were funny or cute and people reacted well and and so I'm like okay great I'm gonna keep going with that until I am ready for something different. And well, so. that playfulness has contributed to my fandom as well. So, uh, Jeff, does it work for you as well? I mean, are are you tearing off a, a sweater and there's a cut-off shirt underneath for I, Jake's I've sake? Been, I've been uh, sharing a little skin recently <laughs> with my overalls here, a little, like, kind of upper thigh, but I'm probably a little more uh, uh, conservative is the wrong term. But, you know, look yeah. at me right now. I mean, it's probably 70 degrees out, and I'm – covered head to toe in denim you know so i don't know what the hell i'm doing (laughs) you know i've been wearing the same outfit for like eight years and i just decided not to think about it like eight years ago i was just like this is what i wear i'm done and nobody's ever given me shit about it all right well you know if it works right if it it ain't broke uh, fix it exactly expression well let's stick with the (laughs) subject of playfulness now uh and uncomfortable outfits um one (laughs) One of your videos that I watched last night for Freedom, which features Devin Gilfillian, is also a Nashville resident as well, I believe. You and Devin are are robots. I was fascinated not just in the playfulness in the videos and the aesthetics, but in the creative choices that are being made. How are those choices made? Who comes up with these concepts? The honest truth for every video we've ever done is that we find out that we have a budget for the video and then like a week to do it. It's this mix of like totally fun intuitive crazy ideas and like just like what the hell are we doing stress sort of like deadline is like right around the corner we're just looking for something funky to do half the thing was like well we need to shoot outside a lot we can't do anything inside because it was covid and so like that's great we're just like it'll be great to just let's go down to north carolina the outer banks and like the folks that we did the video with some friends of ours pat and alex who we've done all of our videos with Patrick is a diehard Star Wars fan and loves making Star Wars models and loves building costumes and stuff like that. And so we just had this idea that all three of us were going to be these robots on this trip together going from like the robotic mundane lifestyle that they were like stuck in and moving into like ecstatic freak out freedom, you know, like on the beach. Like that was the idea. And then it turned out that we didn't have the budget to get three robot outfits. <laughs> so only two of us could be robots. And so Jake became like this kind of lifeless human or, you know, this human. inspired by the robots. Exactly. By the end of the exactly. Video. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, it's like every video, it's just kind of like you don't want to be too on the nose with something. You know, you're always just looking to do something a little different, a little fun and. And we got to shoot a bunch of it throughout Shenandoah Valley and in Harrisonburg, where we're from, and then on in the Outer Banks in North Carolina. And so it was a good excuse to go travel in the height of the pandemic as well. There's hardly any live performance in a lot of these videos. They are kind of concept videos, and yet you're not breaking the bank. And that's something that I, as an independent musician, I'm always trying to figure out. Because we are such a dedicated live band, and when we play live, that, that's really where this whole thing came from. We were live band first, and then figured out how to record that sound, but everything was created for the live show. So when we go to make videos of a recorded song, it's always felt a little funny to be like, oh, like, let's try to like mimic the drum part, or the, you know, we'll, we'll sing along a lot of times, but for us, the like official music video is like, we can be a little more like goofy with it, or, or like, yeah, we grew up 
both in the 90s where there was still at least an hour of music videos on MTV. Yeah, the yeah. tail end of the golden age. There you go. And so it was like, yeah, watching Foo Fighters videos and things where it's just like, they just had fun with it. Yeah. Like, that's that's all we're really trying to do there most yeah, of the time. That's what I took from my little uh, session last night was that it looked like you guys were having a lot of fun and showcasing some acting chops. Uh, nice. Is, the, is there any interest? Hire in, us. <laughs> any interest in that beyond? Yeah, is there any interest in doing that beyond? Yeah, man. If yeah. We did that video and I was like, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. And you and said, wow, I look good. Yeah, whew, those cameras, like the <laughs> nice camera. I read a book and looked up some acting classes and then I got distracted because it was COVID and nothing was in person. And I right, just, well, don't give up the dream, Jay. Oh, well, don't thank you. Don't give up the dream. Thank you. I haven't yet to see you guys live, but you've kind of embraced the whole idea that it's just going to be the two of you. And as a result, Jeff, you're playing guitar and you're playing bass with your feet. And Jake, you're standing up playing the drums. You both sing. Why is there not a third, fourth, fifth person? Is it a budgetary constraint? Did you just feel like we want to figure this out and kind of wear it like a badge of honor that it is the two of us and we want to show everybody that we can pull this off? It's all of the above. I mean, 90% of the time... We are so thankful to be just a duo. 10% of the time, you're just like ready to rip your head off. Like, because there are those moments where you're just like, we want a bass line. If my guitar goes out of tune, like halfway through a song, like I have nobody else to cover any sonic ground. Yeah. Uh, you know, I want the ability to step away from the Taurus, which I play with my feet for bass and take a guitar solo or I want to take a guitar solo and not also be playing a bass line at the same time you know like you kind of want those things and so those times when that creeps up it's always like man this is like a difficult task that we have undertaken but that's more the outlier it's usually like oh this is really there's a sense of freedom we both have worked really hard and have built up our chops because we had been playing in different bands together and then as Illiterate Light was really shaping up and it was just coming down to just the two of us, we were just kind of asking ourselves like, you know, so much has been done musically in the world. There's a lot of bands that you see and you're just like, it's just been done. And so we're just looking for something legitimately new to do. And it was like, well, all right, what if we go down the duo route? How can we take a lot of the more like indie or even avant-garde or psychedelic influences and package that into just a duo is there a way to have a bass and a low end just as a as a duo and and it wasn't like we set out and had a plan you know it wasn't like it was like we made the master plan and then we went and executed it it was just all happening and then we were having the conversations in real time you know, we stumbled into the record store in our hometown and found a MIDI controller that you could play with your feet. Just bought it on the spot. Like, we're going to put this to use somehow. And, you know, a few months later, it's like we're playing our first show and I'm just staring at the, my feet the whole time playing bass, you know. And Jeff and I's kind of catchphrase that we would say to each other when we decided to go to do a route is, we want to try to be a duo, but it can't suck. That was about as, it didn't matter what else we did. It was, that was it. That's a good bar to set uh, right at the very beginning. <laughs> I only know one other drummer that stands up and plays in a band called, uh, now defunct band called Jellyfish. Yeah. What's the inspiration for that? Is it just more that you want to be seen? I mean, is it more comfortable to play that way? I used it's, to play the drums. Oh, and cool. It, I don't yeah. think I would be more comfortable not sitting on my ass and playing man it's funny there's it's like it's actually easier than than a lot of people give there's a there's a few muscles in your legs you got to build up but 
I'm surprised more people don't do it, honestly. A track in the studio standing as well because I make different decisions with this drum set than I do in, in a normal. Like if I sat down and played with a normal hi-hat, I would be in a very different world. And I'm using a lot more rim clicks. I'm using a lot more ride technique. And that kind of circumvented some of like where it came from. But it's a doable thing for any drummers that are out there listening. It's, it's, it's really fun to try. There was a band that I saw that I fell in love with from Lafayette, Louisiana called The Givers or Givers. Their music was fun and colorful and exciting and so engaging. And one of the front people is this woman named Tiff playing ukulele a lot of times and singing up front, but also have this, this sort of like tom drum cymbals, hi-hats set up up front. So they had a drum set player in the back. She was playing drums up front. There's these really cool kind of like New Orleans polyrhythm things going on. And her energy up front and her like ability to do that and sing I just opened my brain to like, I can do that. And then Meryl Garbus from Tune Yards, another huge inspiration for me where the ability to bring percussion and drums to the front of the stage and to show that it's like this is a fun thing to watch what would it take to deviate from that at this point like the size of a venue if you were playing an outdoor venue and it was huge do you still feel like you would still be a two-piece would there be any reason to bring anybody else aboard to kind of fill out your sound i think the thing that will make us deviate from whatever we currently do is the right to be is money, yes, absolutely. I think it's just the right to be an artist and to grow and to do whatever the hell we want. And like, we're not we're not doing anything that we want to like alienate what came before. But we're gonna change. We're gonna grow. And the new record is different. We're still playing it as a duo. We're still everything is is live. And we but on this tour, we tried a few of the tracks from the album where it's like, all right, we don't have a synth player, but there's like a really cool synth line in this. I, I now have a drum sample pad that I use mainly. I I have bass notes loaded onto it and I play it like it's a xylophone bass you know I'm like playing the bass along a line with what we're doing because because we like the the ability to just form to the the moment of the song and we're gonna keep trying shit until something else is cooler than what we're doing now and then we're gonna do that thing it sounds like you really did read that David Byrne book <laughs> a lot of bands are, have become more self-reliant on the business end of things you guys clearly know your shit and know what is important to you as artists how did you and Atlantic get in the bed together? How did that happen? We were a little bit flattered and surprised when they kind of started pursuing us, but we've benefited highly from just living on the road. And we played shows in New York and Nashville, Boston, and I mean, I mean, we've played all over the place, but places where there might be some industry folks coming out. We just kind of caught wind that they were coming out to show that they were just kind of scouting us from afar. Like some of the younger A and R folks were coming out and checking us out, and we're, and we're like, "That's great," you know. So we finished the first record, recording it, and um, our management team just started sending it around to some folks. And Atlantic told us that they were growing some more of their rock and alternative side, and they've signed great bands within that. War on Drugs and other cool bands that were like oh this is tight we've got nothing but positive things to say about working with them on the first album we think they're great people like you said we we know who we are as artists and doing this thing it's like we come from a small town in in virginia and we want to make great music that we're really excited about i've been journaling about it each morning like where is the music industry actually head like if i were you know, if I could give myself five years from now, if I could come back in time and tell myself, hey, here's how things would change, you know, like I'm just trying to process that. Like, what should we be preparing for? I really don't know. 
our industry is pretty insane. You know, it's really wild. And all we really know that we can control and that we love doing is, is playing shows. And every night when we get in front of people, that's what we try to be really comfortable with. But one other cool thing is that over the pandemic, I was able to build a studio in my backyard. And then Jake and Laney's new home, when they purchased it, there's a studio built out in their backyard as well. And That's so, a lawn in Nashville. It, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and so for us as artists now, as independent artists, you know, we've been able to work in great studios with awesome producers and engineers over the last five years. We've honed our craft a little bit. We've dialed in our chops in that way. And so we can go in and work at a great studio like Sputnik Sound here in Nashville with Vance Powell, or we can go to Montrose in Richmond, which is an awesome studio there, or we can work in our home spaces and we like having that sort of ability as an independent artist. You know, we cut a bunch of the vocals for the new album in our own home studios. And so we're embracing that side of it. So all that begs the question, why work with a label at all? What can a label offer you at this point that would make you say, yes, let's do this? When Atlantic was coming after us, I told them that we would sign as soon as they found a early 2000s four-door Toyota Tacoma and just wrote that into the deal for me I would I like so I don't want to do I don't want to do the work to like find and fix one up myself but if it's in a deal I'll probably just say yes my wife says it can't be read it's hard to get a car now yeah, man yeah. you got it's it's, it's no. gonna be tough this time around I think I think our dream scenario would be a sense of community the people on on our team our management our booking anybody that's involved we genuinely like as people we have a uh, tour manager and who's also our sound engineer and we have a, a lighting uh, director who comes with us and those are both like our longtime friends from Virginia for me the the LD is our is my I know him since I was five years old and it's just like there's this real sense of uh, we want to do this with people that we love and that needs to show up whoever we work with we just want them to be really passionate about the music that we're putting out I mean we love what we do you know we're so fortunate in that way it's just it's fun you know that's what we're doing this thing for and so we just want to work with somebody that feels the same like hey they love the passion that we bring and they just want to help connect the dots and help us find people that are going to emotionally relate to what we're doing now you you uh, wrote a song called I want to leave America do you still want to leave America <laughs> sometimes <laughs> that title is a feeling you know that title is like it's it's not I'm done with our country overall it's that everybody you know knew what that felt like in 2016 2017 oh, yeah. everybody knew what that fe- and everybody knows what that feels like when you just spend five minutes on the news right now and it's just like I don't know there's just uh, yeah I just I remember writing that and just feeling like watching family arguments and stuff and just feeling like man we're really losing the plot here and so that song was also a tribute to Neil Young, one of my idols. Who's also referred to in the song. Exactly. Yeah. And you just got to call out Neil. So, yeah, I do feel that waste. You know, I'm, I am like kind of like, man, every country, every culture has its shadow. And it's, you know, we've got so much trauma and healing that needs to happen over racism and a history of slavery in our country that it, the wounds are just gaping. I guess uh, I'm asking like how prophetic that song kind of turned out to be considering what's transpired since you wrote it. You yeah. Know? I mean, not just in America, but just 
I mean, you have a record in your back pocket. You're going to want to tour on that record. You're going to want to do all these things we've been talking about over the course of the podcast, travel overseas and stuff like that. Are you worried that you're going to be restricted? I mean, basically the crux of this interview is is how important your live performance is yeah. to your band and to yourselves as individuals. And those sort of ideals and, and careers have been compromised to a certain extent. Yeah. Oh, for sure. How do we adjust as independent artists to continue to thrive and continue to have the fun that I feel is necessary to want to keep doing this and not change course? Yeah, that's the million dollar question right there. Like a night like tonight. I mean, this is this is church. This is a fucking sacred experience. Like it's literally we're all sharing vibrations to get to sound like a total hippie you know it's just like we are sharing you know that's what everybody felt the second the world shut down was like i've lost like my church you know like i've lost my people i know that any way that we can go and tour and be safe we will do it like that we're gonna go to the places that we can go do that and where we're received and we'll meet people outside we'll sing from a distance we'll do whatever we have to do to just make sure we can keep playing i'm only posing this question and i and I did. oh i love the question i'm only posing it because what impresses me about you guys on top of the music is you adjust accordingly without seeming to compromise your values or the music or anything i mean you've basically been able to make those changes to allow the band to continue to thrive to get to this point so good on you for that i mean so i, w- I was hoping you'd import some wisdom based on <laughs> the wisdom will come <laughs> the wisdom we're will in come. the thick of the storm right now but it's, it's cool you know i i'm happy we did this i'm glad uh, i i came to to worship for a little while here at, at the brooklyn <laughs> too, at the bowling alley slash music venue uh, i am a brooklyn guy so being in brooklyn bowl felt a little uh Makes me feel warm inside. There you go. Jeff Gorman, Jay Cochran. I've been converted. There you uh, go. From casual fan to super fan. Illiterate light. Thanks so much, man. Thanks, Ron. Appreciate it, man. Goodbye. I love you.
was Caroline Lorelei. Earlier in the podcast, we heard Better Than I Used To, both off the self-titled Illiterate Light album out now on Atlantic Records. Find out more, stay up to date on the band's new music at illiteratelight.com, and you can follow the band on social at Illiterate Light. Big thanks to Jake and Jeff for the time and the great conversation, Danny Reese at Artist MGMT for putting us together, and the fine folks at Brooklyn Bowl in Nashville for hosting the festivities. And hey, thank you, podcast listener. I see you. It's all about the numbers, baby, and you have been counted. You know the drill. Listen to all 42,000 episodes of Independent Minded and subscribe at baldfreak.com slash podcast or wherever you're more likely to listen to podcasts. And follow your boy online at Bald Freak Music. Big thanks to our sponsor, Mackie. You hear this? That's Mackie. The EM91CU Plus, to be exact. Yeah, it's affordable. Sure, it's lightweight. Oh yeah, it's USB in right into your computer. It's got a cute little mute button. And a headphone jack built right into the mic? What? <laughs> Reliable, affordable recording gear. Get it now at Mackie.com. Next time on Independent Minded, an all-day and sometimes emotional hang with Los Angeles folk artist turned glam rocker Caroline Kingsbury in her apartment with her cats and then later at a taco place with margaritas. The cat stayed home. <laughs>